it comes back to that experience of like allowing for a little bit more of this this challenge is that you know whether we're we're hardwired as men to to grow through this type of challenge versus a more kind of like sympathetic understanding and kind of learning but that like what we really call out in our group is that when we take a man into a vulnerable share when he shares something about how he is angry at himself at a coworker whatever it might be is that if he comes to a place where he's feeling that emotion again I think that a lot of times the feminine urge there is to support, is to comfort, is to hold. And I, I kind of sometimes witness my wife's women's circles and that's what they look like. And in ours, it's the exact opposite. It's like what we say is that we honor the men by holding space for them, by seeing them and supporting them and allowing them to sit in those feelings that we oftentimes are so afraid to be with. Your lifelong passions, dreams, and aspirations. Your joys and creative spurs. Your femininity. Your success. All in one place. This is Girl Skill with your host, Anna Rova. Hello, girlfriends, and welcome to another amazing episode on Girl Skill Podcast with a man. But before I tell you about this amazing man and what we talked about today, I quickly wanted to remind you, if you're interested and looking for a new way to live this life as a modern woman in this controversial times, and you're kind of tired of doing it all and you're exhausted, I have a solution for you. My free training that's called The Lie of Female Success and How It's Keeping You Stuck, Drained, and Unfulfilled that you can sign up for for free at girlskill.com webinar. It's about 75 minutes and I'm going to share with you my story of transformation from being, uh, you know, from being um, this powerhouse woman who thinks she can do it all and go, 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 to actually surrendering into my feminine power and understanding that there is another way, a way that is easier and more fulfilling and that I don't have to freaking push so hard anymore and that I can't not do it all. I mean, I can do it all, but not at the same time. So you can find more details about this at girlskill.com slash webinar. I hope you sign up. And when you do, I'll send you more details about podcast episodes, my writing. And if you're ready to step onto a different journey, an easier journey, a better journey, and more fulfilling journey, go there. And quickly, here is a testimonial from one of the watchers and listeners. Here's what Anna Wickham from Oklahoma says. Oh my gosh, this makes perfect sense. You can't do it all. That's the point. And so now I'm actually starting to think about it, what it would be like not to do it all. It feels like such a huge relief. I decided I don't want to be that way anymore. Your webinar had a huge impact on me. It really got me thinking about why I never wanted to have kids. And it makes perfect sense to me now because I always knew that you couldn't do it all and used to resent that I would have to put on makeup in the morning when you guys could just get up in 20, 15 minutes and go. And I was like, gosh, it really suits into my productivity. And I realized when I was watching your webinar that we're not meant to be as productive as men. Now we need to talk about what productivity is, which is a different subject. But anyways, if you're curious, go to girlskill.com slash webinar. And now let's talk about uh, today's episode with a man. And if you are a new listener, um, welcome, first of all. And second of all, know that this is not the regular episode 
episodes on Girl Skill Podcast, I usually interview women about womanhood, femininity, and redefining female success. And this is a very special first-time segment where I decided to interview men about masculinity and modern masculinity and, and masculine leadership and what it means to be a man. And I wanted to actually bring into this conversation men because I don't believe the future is female. I believe that we all build a future together with men. And I'm, I'm trying really hard to have very selected men here who are not only, you know, relationship coaches and spiritual masculine leaders, but also guys, regular guys, everyday guys who think about this stuff. And I also want to bring men into the conversation that are masculine men, or at least according to, you know, the, the views that I have on the polarity and masculine and feminine, so that you can see that there are amazing, great men out there doing great work who want to support, protect, provide their women. And um, so we can live in this amazing world where we're women and men, femininity, masculinity, celebrate, and we can all do this together. So today I talked to Andrew Horn. Andrew is an amazing guy. So he is actually the founder well, he founded a bunch of different things, but he is a social entrepreneur. He launched Tribute.co, which the New Yorker recently called the Hallmark 2.0. It makes it easy to create collaborative video montage that you can give as a gift. And, you know, they've done more than 200,000 videos like this. And, you know, he was doing social work with children and uh, a bunch of other different amazing things. He's a speaker. He's passionate about social connection and all of this. But today we bring him in because he actually is the founder of Junto, where he's doing men's work and men's retreats and talks about masculinity. And that's why he's here today. And I absolutely love this conversation. It got a bit tricky, well, in the beginning where we started kind of discussing masculinity, femininity. But uh, he shares, first of all, the story with us, how he proposed to his current wife at Burning Man after, you know, hanging out with her for about three days. We talk about, you know, what masculinity really is. And here's where we, we get into this idea of he shares, you know, masculinity is like these cultural expectations of behavior. And I challenge his view that it's all nurture. So they say nurture and nature. And so we talk a little bit about this. We go into a little bit of a debate, which I very much enjoyed. And we also talk about his previous podcast, which I really hope that we uh, get Warren Farrell on the podcast. Warren Farrell challenges the idea of patriarchy and how it, it's been keeping us oppressed. So we talk about this. But I, what I loved is I asked Andrew is how is masculine vulnerability different from feminine vulnerability? And he introduces an amazing concept, masculine emotionality and feminine emotionality, where we talk about what is the difference of women's circles and male circles that he leads. And also he shares two amazing things, amazing patterns, I'd say, or things that we he found in do, through doing this work and through leading men's retreats. What is coming up for men in these retreats and what are the key findings that he's you know, seeing in all of these men going through transformation. And last but not least, he also shares a message for women that I'm going to ask every guy on the show, which I absolutely love. And stay until the end because also Andrew recommends some people to follow and an amazing book to read that I think every woman should read. All right, enjoy this episode with a man and I'll see you at the end. Girl skill, female success, redefined. All right, girls, listeners, uh, exciting guest we have today, exciting interview, Andrew Horn, all the way from New York, I believe. Hi, Andrew. New York, Brooklyn, same thing, but excited to be here. 
Yeah, welcome to Girl Skill. I was just telling you how excited I am to have you here and how you are the perfect person, the perfect man to be talking about the very, very important subjects that we're going to talk about today, about modern masculinity, manhood, masculine leadership, and all of that. And I've been telling you how I've interviewed more than 100 women, and now interviewing men is a bit strange for me, but you know, I'm sure it will be fine and we're going to have a great conversation. So, Andrea, we're going to start with with a few questions. I call them blitz questions. And after that, we're going to tell everyone who you are. I'd like to keep that mystery about you, uh, if you don't mind. So let's begin with a question that I think all women listening are dying to hear your answer. Andrew, what do you find attractive in a woman? Oh, strength. Just like a really strong woman of conviction, like turns me on and is what really attracts me. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by conviction specifically? Someone who owns their beliefs, like is really grounded in their own voice and not afraid to express it. Mm, beautiful. And Andrew, do you find yourself successful and why? I do just because I love my life. Like I, you know, I'm uh, like in the middle of a conversation today, I was talking about, I'm I'm cleaning up some family stuff right now and like kind of dealing with some some family issues and it's pretty heavy. And at the same time, like while I'm just dealing with some stuff and engaging it, I'm also, I was talking to my buddy and I was like, I'm also just so happy. And I just love my life and I love my wife and my family and my community. And I feel creatively actualized. So yeah, I feel great. And to me, that's, that's success. Mm, Beautiful. All right. My next question is Andrew, what is a transformative experience that shaped you as a man? Hmm. A transformative experience that shaped me as a man. You know, I would say that it was probably my, what we call an alt batch. So my, my wife, Mickey and I decided that we were going to get married three days after meeting one another at Burning Man. So, uh, before we decided to, and if you want to go deeper into the story, I can tell you how this all happened. Yeah. Uh, now we've been together for eight years. But so in the vein of a Burning Man wedding, we were going to go have a bachelor party. But rather than going to like a, a strip club or getting drunk or doing something like that, we decided to go to this ceremonial space at Burning Man. And we had this <gasps> older shaman man who led us through this vulnerability exercise where all of me and four of my guy friends would pull a card. And on the card, it would have an image. And then you would have to immediately reflect what that image made you think about yourself. And in this moment, I was, I was 24 at the time. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that I speak around is, is around uh, social anxiety, shyness, really kind of like how to kind of create social confidence out of that stuff. And I've always dealt with this level of the imposter syndrome, insecurity, whatever it may be. And the thing that I pulled over on the card was a book. And the first thing that came to mind was like, man, I always feel unread. And like when I hang out in these entrepreneurial circles and conferences, I feel stupid all the time. And it was the first time that I had ever expressed that to my peers, to my friends. And the way that the game works is that everyone next to you has can either challenge what you said or they can empathize. And one by one, every guy around the circle went around and empathized with me. And I just, in that moment of sharing my truth, with these other guys and realizing that they were experiencing the exact same thing, you know, number one, just made me feel so much less alone, made me just realize like how much of ourselves we hold back because we're afraid of judgment. We feel other people can't handle it. And also how liberating sharing our truth can be for other people. 
So I think that that was a real anchor of when I started to kind of dive into this work of exploring masculinity, transformation, and really just allowing the self to be seen. Mm, beautiful. I definitely want to hear the story about you <laughs> a good one. proposing to your wife after three days. That's crazy. Actually, tell, tell it to us now, if you don't mind. How yeah, did this so, happen? And then three days is, yeah. So my wife and I met at a, a conference that some of your listeners may have heard of called the Summit Series. And the Summit Series is kind of like a millennial like social entrepreneurial driven Davos. And so in 2011, they did this conference on a boat with 2000 entrepreneurs and Mickey and I met and we had this initial, just like really strong energy as friends. And uh, so we, we stayed in touch after this like brief introduction on the boat. And I was leaving my first nonprofit later that year. She had just broken up with a boyfriend and both of us wanted to go to Burning Man just individually. So we decided to go together and for anyone who's ever been to Burning Man, for those who haven't, like everything is just so intense. The elements are intense. The dancing is intense. The art is intense. Like the food is intricate and then bad. And like, it's just, it is another world. And like, while we were there, we had another incredible moment actually, which is, and now I'm just telling you like all this stuff. Of, so basically Mickey and I were dancing and we had this moment where we were dancing and it was really sexy, but I wasn't looking her in the eyes. And Mickey, being this really strong, powerful woman, uh, she's she's an entrepreneur in her own right. She started a company called Thinks, this period underwear product, and this bidet attachment called Tushy. So she's a real powerful, amazing woman. And uh, she just looks at me and she's like, why aren't you looking me in the eyes? And normally I would have just avoided the subject. I would have just moved on to something else. But something about her and like the way that she asked said, no, you know what, like tell her why you're not looking her in the eyes. And the reality for me is that I had grown up with a lazy eye for most of my youth. And I got teased for it because if I made direct eye contact with people, sometimes my eye would wander and I'd get teased for it. And so because of this, I just had this aversion to eye contact. But so I, I told her this and she was the first person that I had ever talked about this insecurity to. And in that moment, she says two things. She says, number one, who gives a shit? Number two, I don't even notice it, but who cares? And it was, again, it was when I talk about like why I find strength, like sexy, is because there was something about who this woman was that called this version of me out. And, you know, as a person who just values growth and expansion so much as part of just who I am and who I want to be in the world, there was this recognition in this moment that this woman had the capacity to really pull out this version of myself that I wanted and that felt good. And on top of that, she's really hot and super fun. So <laughs> yeah, you kind of miss those um, those <laughs> moments, hot and fun, which are so important. She would say that. She'd say, you didn't talk about my ass once. That's right, Andrew. Here's the time. <laughs> Awesome. Love it. So before you tell us who you are, Andre, because I think by this point, women are like, well, who is this guy? I want to ask you one thing is, so the strength that you are attracted to, you know, your current wife, is that a, do you feel like that's a different strength as opposed to, let's say, strength in a man or your own strength? Is there a different dynamic texture to it? I think it's it's just a, a strength of will and character is what I'm referring to other than physical strength. And I think that there's, you know, different expressions of strength. And I think that the one that I'm referring to is really that is the strength of character and the strength of will. Strength of character is someone who's very connected, aware and committed to who they are. And will is just their commitment to like really acting on that, to expressing that in the world, you know, courageously. 
Yeah. All right. Got it. Cool. Thank you. So, Andrew, now is the time to tell us who you are, what you do. Yeah. So my name is Andrew Horn. I'm a, a longtime uh, social entrepreneur, facilitator, speaker, writer. I got my start in the world of nonprofits, started an adaptive athletic provider, helping young kids with disabilities to play sports. We grew that to become one of the largest providers in Washington, D.C., left that to another founder after a couple of years. And at that point, I started moving into the arena of speaking and writing and created a business around strategic communication, how to help people articulate the value that they have to bring in the world, working with you know CEOs, thought leaders, authors to create TED Talks, all sorts of fun stuff right there. And that's really where I became obsessed with, with communication, language, interpersonal dynamics. And while I was really focused on that part of the business, I then was inspired to start another company called Tribute, um, which the best way to imagine Tribute is on my 27th birthday, my wife surprised me with this gift of 20 of my closest friends and family members all telling me why they love me in a video montage that she created. Sat in the back of the room, bawling my eyes out when I watched it, realized that it was the most meaningful gift on earth and that I wanted to share it with the world. And so from that day in 2014, we've created more than 200,000 of these videos. We've been called Hallmark 2.0 by The New Yorker. We work with people like the Cleveland Clinic to get them people going through chemotherapy. We do them for people who are losing their memory, who have you know late stage Alzheimer's and all sorts of incredible things. And so, so that was the last uh, company that I started. And then the most recent one, and what I think we'll probably focus on today, is something called the Junto. And the name Junto comes from Benjamin Franklin, who created a secret society in the 1700s that was this place where uh, members of society would come together, men, and they would talk about matters of personal improvement and civic engagement. So how they could improve themselves and the city that they lived in. And so the Junto is our modern iteration of that. We call it a not-so-secret club for emotional mastery and personal transformation. And we do these uh, bi-monthly retreats that we call a modern rite of passage. And it's an opportunity for men to practice something we call emotional mastery, get in touch with their emotions, express them. And then on top of that, we also provide an opportunity for men to deconstruct the forces that have really influenced their sense of masculinity of manhood and then recreate it on their own terms. Because we believe that the only person who can really tell you what it means to be a man is you. Wow. Did you just read that off a note or something? Because that sounded no, amazing. I, <laughs> I just I just love I just love what I do. You know, I think that that's so much of what I do in the realm of communication is just understanding that, you know, I don't care about influencing people. I don't care about buzzwords. I don't care about any of that. It's just about connecting with truth is once you're connected to truth, like what you really care about, what's really meaningful to you, what's actually happened to you and transformed your own life. It becomes so much easier to speak clearly, to share authentically, to get excited because it's real. And that's that's what I'm all about is helping people to connect to that real, real. Yeah. So like you mentioned, Andrew, I'd love to focus today on, uh, you know, the Junto and, uh, well, perhaps your personal journey with masculinity and also truly because you're leading men on these retreats. And thank you actually for recommending the work, the movie. I watched it with my husband and I was deeply moved by it. And everyone listening, I'd highly recommend you listening to it as well. I mean, watching it because it was very powerful. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions regarding 
that. And, you know, this is a terrain that I think a lot of us are, I mean, women and men, like everyone is like literally confused and we are all figuring it all out. And I usually interview women about femininity and, and womanhood. And here I'm talking to you who pretty much do, who's pretty much doing the same thing, just on the other side, you know, talking about manhood and masculinity and leading men to explore these subjects and really understand who they are. So let's begin with the question, Andrew, what is masculinity? Yeah, so if you were to look at kind of the most commonly accepted academic definition, masculinity is a culturally accepted uh, a set of cultural expectations and behaviors that we associate with the gendered experience. So I know that that's kind of a lot of jargon, so I'm going to say it one more time. So it is a set of cultural expectations, what we expect of someone, and behaviors that we associate with a gendered experience. And so what that means, it is if someone is a man or a woman, it is what are the expectations that we place on them? What role are they expected to play in society, in their family, within their friend group, whatever that may be? And behaviors is actions. So what are the actual behaviors that we most commonly associate with that gendered person? And so that's why when we talk about modern masculinity, you know, the idea of masculinity is always evolving with the times because masculinity is inherently defined by the cultural expectations of that specific time period. And same thing with femininity, like what was expected of women 60 years ago is very different than what is expected of women today. And so the idea of modern masculinity is just something that accounts for the cultural transformation that parlays into masculinity. And then, you know, we certainly have our own take on basically what masculinity is and how it's most important and, and beneficial as a personal exploration, which we can get into. Mm. So I agree with you, but I have a question here, which I think we can get into a discussion. Do you believe that biology has nothing to do with what these, let's say, cultural expectations and behaviors put on these you know, gendered experiences? Well, I had, I had an opportunity to speak with John Gray, the author of Men and Women, Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus. And I know that you did as well. And, you know, one of the things that John said so beautifully is that, look, he's, he's about gender liberation. He doesn't believe that anybody needs to be any specific way. But, you know, as a doctor, like he just understands that there are very specific biological trends and consistencies that align with genders. And so, Understanding that there are certain chemicals that are more present that respond to certain stimuli differently if you are born a man and born a woman, and understanding that biology does parlay a little bit into you know our expression in the world, the type of behaviors that we are traditionally going to be more aligned to, when we understand that, we're more capable of being whoever we want to be in the world. And you know, I talked to another really interesting guy, Warren Farrell, who talked about how the idea of rigid gender roles for much of human history was a very beneficial thing. It's that, you know, when you lived in a time where there were very real threats in the external environment, like wildlife that could kill you, you know, men had to basically were trapped in this sacrificial role where they had to go to war, they had to go to hunt, they had to be thrust into these very dangerous roles and sacrifice themselves to protect the family and the community. And women were thrust into a nurturing role to raise the kids. And it was very rigid. And ultimately, it promoted survival, which was the the primary driving force of, of humanity since the beginning of time. And then if you look at as we evolved, you know, past kind of like Neolithic times and into modern societies, 
the idea of protecting was was transplanted by providing. It's, you know, a lot of times men had to be put into roles where they were thrust into these positions of being expected to provide financially. And then women were forcefully put into the position of nurturing without having an opportunity to provide. And now we're obviously shifting. And so Warren talks about it as this, this survival instinct that was driving that, you know, rigid gender role need by society. And, you know, I really do believe that women were, were, you know, thrust into a lot of oppression because of that. And now we're at a time where, these rigid gender roles are no longer really serving anybody is that I think that we're in a time of really, you know, that being able to identify with, with who we are as, as people and, and gender is certainly plays into that. It's, but I, I always say that I'm, I'm curious mostly about the exploration of masculinity and femininity so that we can address the conversation of what does it mean to be human? And, our identity is is made up of all of these different buckets. It's like I am uh, a man, I am straight, I am white. Like these are all things that play into my identity that all align with different ex- expectations that society has of me. And um, when I address all those things and I understand what I have made that mean, I'm able to transcend those things and just ask, well, who am I on my own terms? Because this is who I need to be in the world is is what's most exciting. So I say we do men's work so that not to be better men, but to be better humans. And that's kind of how I think about a lot of this. That's really interesting, Andrew, because I think that here is where you and I, uh, I guess not necessarily disagree a little bit, but I'm curious. So you think that, so my view on this is that nature, biology, and evolution has and is still playing a role that actually serves us as men and women. And I'm a big fan of polarity and David Data. So I don't know if you've heard about him or know of his teachings. So, for example, when you say, you know, men were put into this position of protect protector and then the provider and women were thrown or forced into being the nurturer. I believe that with nature or following our nature, let's say, and, you know, women bleed every month and we are on a monthly cycle, we get pregnant we give birth so personally i don't believe that we as women even today modern women you know are forced into nurture this is our nature to nurture and i believe that also in in masculine terms you know when i talk to men when i watch my husband naturally he's more inclined to be the protector and the provider which comes from you know biology evolution we deal differently with stress and all of that and there's a lot of studies about even psychological differences i mean whether you know who sponsors that research and everything like that's uh we can talk about i mean you know there's many different theories but i i agree with you just to finish up on that i agree with you that first and foremost we are human so i completely agree with you in that terms like who am I as a human? What are the, my values? How do I behave in the world? Where do I stand? And then I guess I'm still figuring it out. But secondary, I truly, truly believe, like I live my life as a feminine essence woman and it has transformed my life, my relationship in so many different ways. And so, and here's what I, I want to respond to, to both of those. And I want to understand more of what you mean by feminine essence. So when we talk about, like, this is what was most fascinating, again, about what John Gray would talk about is, like, there are trends, right, that would say, that, like, again, like, that our biology does play into this. And it's, and it's true that women en masse are more drawn to nurturing activities, whereas the men may be more drawn to, again, like, analytical, tactile, and also, like, more, like, aggressive or dangerous activities. And that's kind of, like, again, things that they're more biologically wired to. When I talk about the oppression... It means that even though we are biologically more wired 
uh, statistically to specific activities, let's just generalize those into protecting and nurturing, the women for so much of human history did not have a choice as to which they would pursue. And so that's when I speak about the oppression is that because there was not a choice that was there. And like now that we're at a time where we can speak about the realities of the experience of men and women and say that it's natural that biology would support people who per- choose to pursue this, but also at the same time that we exist in a time where people can be liberated to pursue whatever they want. And so that's kind of, I guess, what, I, what I'm speaking to there when I talk about the oppression and that I do believe that the, the gendered experience does lead to people being more likely to make specific decisions about what they decide to do with their, their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. You know, I write about this and I tell women on my, like, we live in an amazing time. It's a different time. And women have so many choices today. In fact, I believe that we live in the best times ever for women. You know, we can do whatever the hell we want. And it's amazing. But I listened to your interview with Warren uh, on your podcast and I love this description, you know, when you guys talked about the patriarchy and it's amazing how he described it. And I know you you were like, well, but women were oppressed for so long and so on. And he was saying, well, yeah, I mean, not yeah, but let's think about this. Let's think about the patriarchy and how men were disposable pretty much and how, you know, we always think now there's so much talk, you know, within the Me Too movement and all of this oppression, patriarchy, which honestly, I don't really connect because I haven't it's it's a completely different discussion, but I don't identify with this worldview because I've talked to a lot of men and I looked at throughout history how men, it was a different time. Like, for example, men had to go to war and women had to be at home. You know, it was not a matter of what do I choose to do with my life? It's like, what do I need to do with my life? Because the time was different. Of course, things have changed, you know, but I still feel that given the choice, like I know, Andrew, you have a beautiful son, I believe, right? He's about two, three. Yeah. I became a mother seven months ago. And the more I talk to women who are mothers and, you know, my baby right now is in daycare. I just dropped her off. My heart broke into pieces, but I had Mm -hmm. to do it because I, I love what I do. But given the choice, I know that most women and again, we talk about in general terms, would want to stay at home with their children and not be sent to work. So that's why I feel like I'm a bit of a weird, controversial voice in this feminine movement. But it is true. Like I get messages from mothers who are like, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to provide. I want to stay home with my baby. And I feel like that is the nature with us. Something shifts in my mother brain, you know, when I nurse, when I give birth, like I just don't, kind of stand with the whole idea that we have to work. You know, there's this push of go to work, be liberated, blah, blah. But at what expense? At the expense of not being with our children. Do you know what I mean? Does that does that make sense? Kind of from yeah, my perspective. So, and, and I think there are there are people, again, you know, probably more on the side of John and, and Warren who say that, you know, when they talk about being gender liberationists, what they mean is that like we don't want society to place expectations on people based on like any really form of identity. And so it's the idea that as, you know, like all things, it's like where we have more liberty for for most people and and women, you know, the the ability to go and choose how they want to contribute, whether they want to work, whether they want to stay at home, but that they would say that in some ways that it's overshifted and now that, you know, some women feel pressure to go and pursue, you know, professional achievement over a natural draw to nurturing and that that pressure is now there where it wasn't in the past. And I say, 
you know, like all things, it's, you know, for whenever we have any sort of correction, there'll certainly be an over-rotation and then we'll come back to a place of normalcy, hopefully. And so I hope that we're, we're headed in, in that direction. And, and another thing that's interesting about Warren, and I'll share it because I thought it was really fascinating, is when you were talking about his idea of the patriarchy. It's, um, so basically what Warren talks about and, and summarizes really beautifully is he says that the way that uh, second wave feminists would categorize power is really a fundamental thing to understand. Second wave feminists would categorize power as access to money, access to capital. And so they would say that because women did not have the right to work, they did not have any power in the relationship. And Warren personally defines power as the freedom to choose, to choose who you will be, what you do. And so what he was saying is that the idea of a patriarchy, the idea of a domineering gendered class who had freedom to choose throughout history is just incorrect. Because if you think about throughout time, men being thrust into these sacrificial roles, like I had just talked about, certainly there were a few men who led at the top, but then the existence for most men was a really dangerous place to be, was sacrificial. And then in modern societies, again, when we moved from protecting, literally, to providing financially, that there was still an element of sacrificing freedom to fulfill the expectations of society. And so in that society, again, freedom was lost on both sides. Women did not have an opportunity to choose. Very, very apparent. Many women experienced that. My mother did. You know, and, and at the same time, men also sacrificed a lot. And the majority of men who were not those that were really in power were sacrificing and did not have the freedom to choose who they could be in the world. And so Warren believes that the idea of this kind of ever-present patriarchy can oftentimes be counterproductive to collective healing. And, you know, I, I love Warren and, and I really hope to continue to work with him. And like, I also believe that it's so important. I just did a, a show with a man today, talked about perspective and opening in the perspective of, of others. And if others believe that they're the victim of oppression, it's just like you can acknowledge someone else's viewpoint of oppression and not necessarily agree with it. But if you can't acknowledge it and empathize with it, it's going to be very unlikely that you can move a conversation forward and open people up to new ideas and that's just such a, an important part of having these types of conversations when we disagree about, you know, oppression and where it does and does not exist. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I love about Warren's interview, in fact, I'm going to link to it and I'd love to interview him on the show, maybe with your help, Andrew, with an introduction. But you're right. It's like this patriot, like the idea that the expectations you said of the society of men to be a certain way, in fact, are the expectations of women what he really meant by it, that women choose the men that they want to be with in majority of cases, especially today, and connected to nature and biology, women choose to be with a stronger guy, you know, like we are mammals, I mean, with a stronger, more successfully, more successful man, whatever success means at that particular time. And I know you guys talked about the matriarchy. You gave an example of some apes being in the matriarchy. And he was like, well, yeah, because women in that group are choosing more sensitive men. And so therefore, men behave more sensitively. So I found, and, and that's what I write about, because I see the power that women have. I don't want to say over men, but you know, we don't talk about this. We don't talk about seduction powers. We don't talk about sex and sexuality that women have and have had for, mil you know, for millennia on men and still have today. You know, I don't like... 
I just want to bring light to these subjects for, especially, you know, when we talk about the patriarchy, we always look at women as victims. How I look at this is like we hold so much power, not necessarily over men, but I think, you know, what we're talking about. So I found that incredible. Like it just brought more truth and light to this whole patriarchy idea, this oppression that women are victims. I never consider myself as a victim. You know, I pursued everything I wanted and I see the power that I could have or have, I guess, over men in terms of sex and seduction, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, and I'm excited. So one of the things that you, you mentioned before, I'd love to hear you go deeper on is, so when you say that you've lived from your feminine essence and that's really empowered your way of being. So what do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is, you know, I'm following, like, I'm a big fan of David Dead, as mentioned before, and how he describes feminine essence and masculine essence. First of all, each one of us has a feminine and masculine energies within us. How we would describe masculine energy is about drive, direction, ambition, going forward, risk. You know, the masculine is the presence. It's what holds the container. The feminine energy or the feminine essence is what fills the container. So it is the chaos. It is the movement. It is flow. It is surrender. So he talks about this idea of polarity, you know, where you have a ravishee and a ravisher. You have the taken and the one who takes. And that's very prominent in the bedroom, obviously in the sex, but it also is prominent in relationships. And so the idea is that all of us have those two energies. Like I wouldn't be interviewing you now uh, if I didn't have my masculine energy. You know, it's like the drive. It's what moves me forward. But at the same time, the, well, at least the hypothesis is that most women would identify as having that feminine essence who loves beauty, who loves nurture, who wants to feel in the shelf. And he he gives an example, like if you have an empty shelf, and I'm curious, Andrew, how is your shelf and how is your wife's shelf? It's a very practical example. Like if there's an empty shelf, a woman, usually, uh, who would identify as a feminine essence, would, would like to fill that shelf with, uh, you know, a candle, a photo frame, uh, a bunch of, like, I have tons of stuff, like my oils, my candles, my tarot cards, you know, I am driven and nurtured and fulfilled by beauty, by flow, by surrender. And then a masculine shelf or the masculine essence, like, you know, my husband has a Kindle with a black cover and a phone on his bedside table. That's it. Nothing else. So it is the emptiness of it. And so these two dynamics, they constantly play with each other. And that's what creates polarity that also creates this tension and the sexual attraction within it. So I don't know, does that make sense to identify with it? (laughs) <laughs> very, very much so. And, you know, David Data's work was was extremely helpful when I was getting into a relationship with, you know, again, like who occurs to me as a very powerful woman when I was 24 years old and had never been in a really committed relationship like that before. And so, you know, understanding the polarity and the idea of, you know, how to really commit to what was most important to me to be fully present in a romantic relationship was incredibly helpful. And so I've, I've recommended the work to, to many people as well. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, let's, uh, because we don't have much time, Andrew, but I'd still like to get an answer from you. Okay, let's talk about masculinity for you specifically. Do you have a definition for yourself? Because, you know, this term of like you doing men's work, which to me feels like, okay, maybe I should phrase this question differently. How is men's work differently from women's work? Or do you think there's no difference there? Uh, Well, so uh, men's work for me means that it is men who are opening themselves up for the exploration of who they are, what's real for them, and what they need in their lives at this moment. And I think that there is something 
uh, special that I have experienced about creating these male-only containers. And as I've talked to some of my mentors and people who have been doing this work for, for many, many years, you know, they have talked about the way that men and women emote differently. And, you know, there's a guy who I, who I really respect in this space. His name is Owen Marcus. He's one of the founders of, a, of an amazing group called Everyman. And he talks about masculine emotionality and feminine emotionality and the idea that, you know, the, the feminine emotionality that many of the men of my father's generation grew up with was they grew up with their mothers in the household and emotionality was really expressed to them in a very kind of like sympathetic, empathetic type of way. And so they learned and experienced emotionality in this way that was maybe a little more foreign as opposed to the idea of masculine emotionality, which means that you can allow men to experience and express emotion and correlate it and allow for some of the more aggressive adrenaline driven behaviors that, you know, are more correlated with the, the male experience. And so it's, you know, when you have men that are experiencing and expressing emotions, like for me in my most recent men's group, I was really allowing myself to experience sadness. And in that state, you know, the guy next to me is like, I'm triggered. I feel like you, I feel that this is not real, you know, and challenged me while I'm in the middle of my sadness mm. and the ability to challenge in that state, you know, which, which pissed me the fuck off. Sorry. I don't know if I can share. Or please, curse. please curse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which pissed me off. But then we got to deal with it. And, you know, we can talk about the modality that I used to, to facilitate a lot of this men's work called Gestalt. But that type of challenge is a real kind of fundamental difference that I think is available in these male-only containers. And so I think that, again, you know, there are similarities that exist in the gendered experience of male and female. And by creating these containers where we are alike and we get to learn more from the experience of others. But what I say is that while we, we meet in these male-only containers, we are very much involved with our, our partners and, you know, at least in, in our group, the majority of them are, are straight relationships. And what I would say is like, we come and we do this work, but what becomes present to us, what becomes real is stuff that should be shared with our partners. Because I talked to, you know, I was at a place called the Transformational Leadership Council. And I, I, it's a lot of some of these kind of thought leaders from the 60s, 70s, 80s. And they talked about the men's movement of that era up into the 80s and Iron John and, and King Warrior, Magician Lover, which are two seminal books of the, the kind of men's work movement. And they talked about how men's groups and men's work can oftentimes be othering if we're not really intentional about how men's work is, is conducted is because what these women articulated to me that really influenced how I think about the Juntos, they would say these men who they loved would go and expend all of their, in, they would get their intimacy fixed with these other men. And then they wouldn't have any drive for that with them. They wouldn't have any drive to dive into that emotional aspect that was important to the women. And also there just weren't strict containers about just, they felt like maybe they were just talking badly about them and there's ways that you can put containers on that. And so what I always, you know, took from that is we always kind of ask ourselves, like, what did, what became clear for me? How can I actually share this with my partner so that she feels included in this process? And we make a really conscious effort of like, we, we don't do men's work for ourselves. We do men's work for the people and communities that we care about. When we do this, are we going to feel better? Are we going to be more aligned, more in integrity? Yes. But what I always say is like men's work is, is service. It's about basically understanding who we are, who we need to be, you know, so that we can actually create that space for other people and, and you know, the world at large. And um, so that was a, that was the thing that I took away from that. 
Yeah. So, so you do agree and, and you see the difference. Like I love the concepts that you mentioned, masculine emotionality and feminine emotionality, you know, this ability to challenge. And I, you know, in that movie, the work, like there were men in prison, like convicts and they were in the vulnerable states and then they were challenging each other. And now that you're talking to me about, you know, I go to women's circles every, um, you know, every month and uh, I can't imagine sitting in a women's circle and a woman challenging me in my sadness. I, like right. that's not allowed in a women's circle. Everything we do is hold each other and we listen and we share and we cry. I mean, you know, I was listening to your interviews and that's the question that was in my mind, what is the difference? Because I hear you talk a lot about, and I, the more I talk to men who do men's work, they say, you know, and, and that's what we're going to finish with today with, you know, what is masculine leadership? And the more I hear, you know, today men need to lead with love. Vulnerability is a hot subject. You know, where is your heart, who you are? And I, and I can't stop but think about what is the difference because I feel that there is a difference, you know, how women communicate their feelings, vulnerability, and how they stand in their femininity, womanhood is different how men stand in that. So that's why I was asking you this question, like, what is masculine vulnerability and how does it represent? Because to be honest with you, Andrew, while I can hold space for my men, I don't know if I would like to be with a man as my husband where I could trust him to lead, for example, our marriage or completely surrender and see him being totally emotional and like expressing so much emotion while I understand that he has to express emotion because otherwise he's not living in his full body, full truth. But I'm wondering where is that boundary? Like, how does he connect with other men? And, and and that's for him to figure it out, obviously. But for all the women listening, I'd love for us. Do you have any any more depth or maybe maybe through examples that you see in the men that you're yeah. leading? You know, even I, I can speak from experience here mm-hmm. of because even navigating this with with my own wife of like basically going to group and understanding that she has an experience where even for her, you know, so she values what I'm doing and believes in it so deeply. But she shares that, you know, sometimes she feels that I come back and, you know, she might feel energy that she feels been transmuted from the group. And so it really is just a, a constant conversation of what does she need to feel like she's included and also gaining from my experience that's there. And, <laughs> you know, and I think that, that that open line of communication about how this work is contributing to the relationship is really beneficial because I can talk you know, for days about what I get from this work and how it benefits me. But I think that understanding the impact of, of how she's experiencing my growth and this exploration is also really important if I value my, my relationship as something that's a priority. But in terms of, I, I want to speak directly to your question because you kind of asked about masculine vulnerability and the idea of gendering the experience of, of vulnerability. And I think that it, again, it comes back to that experience of like allowing for a little bit more of this this challenge is that you know whether we're we're hardwired as men to to grow through this type of challenge versus a more kind of like sympathetic understanding and kind of learning but that like what we really call out in our group is that when we take a man into a vulnerable share when he shares something about how he is angry at himself at a coworker whatever it might be is that if he comes to a place where he's feeling that emotion, again, 
I think that a lot of times the feminine urge there is to support, is to comfort, is to hold. And I, I kind of sometimes witness my wife's women's circles and that's what they look like. Hmm. And in ours, it's the exact opposite. It's like what we say is that we honor the men by holding space for them, by seeing them and supporting them and allowing them to sit in those feelings that we oftentimes are so afraid to be with. Anger, shame, sadness. And so when men are capable of being strong enough to not try and alleviate that, to not try and take a man out of that feeling that is there, you know, in that full experience of the emotion, we really believe is the, the, the most powerful way to work through that. And that that is, I think, a, a real difference about, you know, what men can do in the expression of vulnerability is to create that aura of resilience and trust that like, we will allow people to be in these spaces that we're rarely empowered to go emotionally and, and hold them to feel it fully. And the founder of Gestalt, this is facilitation modality that, that I leverage in our men's retreats, like what's what they just say there is that you cannot think your way through these emotions. The only way through mm-hmm. them is, is to feel them fully. And, and a lot of times it's not necessarily the, the nurturing and the supporting and you're okay and you've got all these other things going on. But it's just like, that sucks. Absolutely. And how I would call it, Andrew, is embodiment. And that's the coaching that I do with women. We literally sit with with the feelings and allow them to be expressed through the body. And through feminine embodiment, it looks different than masculine embodiment. And I've seen masculine embodiment in, in the movie, the work, and it was really powerful. Where men, and I love, you know, that there's a scene where the guy, the men challenge him to go through obstacles, to scream, to, and, you know, men, like, it was amazing to see. I got a little bit scared with all these masculine energy. Like, imagine they're in a prison. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that would be the worst place for me (laughs) as a woman. But he was literally, men would hold him down and he would have to fight, you know, or to rise up or to be challenged. And, And that's where I see, I was like, oh, yeah. This is how masculine embodiment looks like. So that was really interesting. Andrew, I want to ask you before I let you go, because there's so many questions I want to ask you. Oh, my God. How can we go through this in an hour? But I think what's important to ask you specifically is if you could tell us maybe top three things that you see in the men's work, in the men's retreats that men share with you that were kind of findings or aha moments or something that was surprising to, or maybe some of the trends or the patterns you see in all men, maybe problems that they come with. Have you seen any kind of patterns or would you, how would you summarize it maybe in like three top or two top findings? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the the first one and, and what really inspired me to get into the space is just how little capacity and capabilities we have to experience our feelings and express them. And so when we think about fear, shame, sadness, anger, joy, you know, we, we really skip this idea of social emotional kind of learning in, in school and as we were raised. And so what happens is that when men are experiencing these emotions that are ambiguous, ethereal feelings that they cannot put words to, their first instinct is either to just basically try and think their way through it, which doesn't acknowledge, again, like any of the, the subconscious, unconscious things, the, the somatic aspect of any of this, and just go and do something else. 
And it makes people just basically act out of alignment because they're not aware of all these emotions that, that just haven't been expressed. And when we don't express emotion, they become suppressed. And that I really, you know, have learned that it's when we don't express emotion, they become suppressed. And this is so often where we find these uh, moments of violence, men, you know, taking these acts that are just really detrimental, whether that's cheating or tanking a job. And so the first and most important aspect of this is providing a framework and a container where men are liberated to sit and be with their emotions and understand that, again, this is this everyman group that talks about the idea of insight and understanding is that men are conditioned to think about their problems intellectually. And that, that works. And this is everybody. This is not just men. But that if you look at where we are, we're talking, you know, in Squadcast and doing a podcast across the world. And so this kind of intellectual thinking is very good for, for building and moving forward. But in terms of like our own personal growth, it's um, when we feel something that is a problem, let's say shame, sadness, or anger, our first instinct is to just solve it, which is like, how can I not feel this thing as quickly as possible? And a lot of times that's through numbing, through alcohol, through throwing yourself into work, through women, like whatever it might be, as opposed to just allowing ourselves to fully feel that thing. And so this kind of emotional learning, this emotional mastery is the first and most important thing because it's a, a lexicon and a language for understanding ourselves that is so fundamental for really learning who we are and what is real for us right now. And when we don't address these emotions, they just pile up like sticks. And <laughs> I love this analogy, the idea of like emotions as sticks in a river. And if you just basically think of yourself as a stone in a river, and let's say that emotion flows down the river and it's a stick and it just hits you and you process it, you cry and the stick goes by the wayside and flows down the river. And then another stick emotion comes down and this one hits you and you just basically cry, but then you throw yourself into work. So the stick gets caught up on the rock. And the next emotion comes, but instead of hitting the rock and falling off and being processed, now it hits this other stick. And so now you're actually processing this emotion from last time and this new one. And then over time, all these emotions just basically just pile up. And so anytime you're trying to deal with, say, a fight with your romantic partner, you're still dealing with feeling unworthy at work and not hearing I love you from your parents and all these other things. And so it becomes so much more difficult to deal with issues in the moment because you're dealing with all this other unexplored, unexpressed emotion. And so, so this all just comes back to the importance of this emotional mastery and providing men with the spaces and tools that they need to, uh, to really experience this part of themselves. Beautiful. Andrew, thank you for doing this work. This is uh, amazing. We could talk forever. Uh, but I, before we get, I, I'm very curious about some of the people that you recommend and maybe some of the books for the female audience uh, to read. But one last question here real quick. Um, Andrew, what is your message to women today? Can I, can I tell you one more thing that I think is yes, really important on men and please. then tell you what I think women need to hear? Yeah. So the second thing that I think has been most educational and, and it's really become clear in this process is the importance of, of ceremonial rites of passage for men. And one of the things that we look at is that throughout history, there were these very ingrained cultural experiences that allowed men to basically evolve into a more mature masculinity. So when we talked about protecting when we talk about the wise men, the king energy, like all these things, there were cultural events that were really ingrained in our experience for, for most of modern civilization. And we can look at those things as marriage and childbirth, is that if you really go back 50 years, those things were happening for men in their early 20s, right? 
And so men were basically thrust into a place where now they were caring for a partner, a romantic partner, and then they were caring for a child. And so they were forced into this maturation where they were caring for people, which is kind of the natural expression of this nurturing, protective masculinity. And now you look at where these things have been pushed off into our 30s and 40s. You know, I, I think of it as like, this is like the epidemic of fuckboy syndrome of like people that are just totally concerned with themselves. And, you know, they're allowed to just per- percolate in this immature masculinity for, for so long. And so the idea of ceremonial rite of passage is throughout history, rites of passage were these opportunities where a group of people, a community, a tribe came together and basically set out responsibilities of what someone was stepping into. And in these moments, they were being invited to be seen and recognized in this new light by a community. And when we're seen and recognized in that way, it allows us to shift our sense of who we are in the world. And we've really lost the art of these rites of passage with, you know, the the dwindling of religion and, and kind of tribal living and all these other things. And so I think that bringing these experiences back into the world and understanding that we no longer live in a place where it needs to be a tribe or a larger community saying, here's what it means to be a man. Here's what you need to do. It's giving men an opportunity to just ask this question of what does it mean to be a man to me and answering that is because when they do that, that's that's a win-win for, for everybody. So that would be the second thing that I think people can really be focusing on seeking out, um, which is when... I just want to add to this, Andrew. The rites of passage were the first things that I learned. And, and one of the interviews I listened to on your podcast, which is, by the way, brilliant, I recommend to all women to listen, was that idea... Well, when I think about rites of passage for men, one comes, you know, the rite of passage from boyhood to manhood. And what comes to mind always is the movie 300, you know, when boys 14 years old were sent, you know, wilderness and to kill a tiger or whatever. Um, Obviously, that's not happening today. Fathers are not present. And I know that we can talk about fatherhood and all of that. That's a different conversation. But I didn't think about rites of passage of creating a family. And, And when I was listening to your episode, it really struck me that you're right. It's Men are getting, uh, and it was interesting because you said men are getting married later on during the years, but I think it's so much related to what we talked about before that actually women are getting married later in the years because they choose to focus on their careers and they choose to... Uh, you know, postpone marriage and children. And so, and, and actually a lot of women are like even questioning, why do I need to have kids? Why do I need to have to be married? But I didn't think about a rite of passage that when a man actually in the young year, you know, in, in his 20s, like you, Andrew, <laughs> when you get married, you take care of, you start taking care of your wife and that really the provider, the protector, or taking care of a service for the community really comes out. You know, when you have children, everything changes. Like, you know, I have a baby and you have a son. And I can clearly see, like, we both, the mother and the father, we are stepping up in, it's not about me anymore. You know, how do I contribute to the world? How do I raise this human being to be a decent being? So I think that is so important. Like, thank you for bringing this to light uh, and doing this work with men. So I'm imagining you're doing some sort of ceremonial things with your men, like dancing around the fire or whatever, screaming out oh, loud. We, we, we definitely create some <laughs> big ass fires. But, uh, do you some kill of that any we'll re- lions or, so, or tigers? Some of that, you know, we haven't had any lions in this state <laughs> in New York recently, so we'll yeah. wait until we, we bring one to, uh, to Africa or yeah. who knows what we'll do when we bring it to Australia later this year. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's an incredible experience. And, you know, again, I think that so much of it is just 
tried to share so much of the the work and ideas that I think a lot of great people before me have, have kind of brought into the world and putting our own spin on it and uh, just sharing, you know, the transformation and, and joy and connection and growth that I've experienced from this type of work for myself. So it's yeah, uh, beautiful. Yeah, it's been a really, a really enjoyable journey. Yeah. So what is your message to women, Andrew? My message for women. I would say that the easiest one here, again, is just for women to understand that these types of spaces are available where men can access, you know, this kind of connection, this type of deeper emotional inquiry, and that sometimes these spaces of just guys are really, really beneficial and oftentimes a gateway into unlocking the deepest sense of purpose, of integrity, of energy for men to really be who they, they need to be in the world and that they're not in it alone, you know? And so whether that is through, you know, a lot of the, the men's organizations that are around the world, like Mankind Project or coming into the US and, you know, reaching out to an organization like Junto or looking at people like Everyman who have a curriculum for men's groups that you can start is if you are inviting a, a man that you love into this type of work, one thing I would really ask you not to do is say, I think you really need this because <laughs> that's a terrible way to introduce men's work to a guy, <laughs> which I, I hear so often from women is that, oh, my husband really needs this. And I was like, well, let's, let's reframe that. But you can just say it's again that you you heard about the stuff and really enjoyed you know learning about men's work and what it is and where it comes from, and uh, and just sharing the information so that you're not alone. And fortunately, it seems like we are in the midst of kind of a, a resurgence of this type of work, you know, really in the aftermath of Me Too and people experiencing a lot of these kind of questions about who has you know been victimized at the hands of you know men and what is the role of men in, in society today and how can we all grow and create a more just society and the answer is you know one of my friends Esther Perel always says that if you want to help the women help the men it's because they've got a lot of shit that they haven't worked through for a very very long time and I certainly think that that's one part of it and we're trying to do our part Beautiful. Well, Andrew, I, I'm just writing about this on my on my blog about, you know, if you want your men to, you know, change or do something personal, girl, don't tell him to go do that because uh, that's the worst thing because then he'll get a message that, oh, you want me to change. So fuck that. I'm not going to go there, you know, because he will resist. Yes. <laughs> it's asking questions, you know, it's just understanding. It's, you know, it's like, what do they, what do they value most? It's like, what aren't they doing they want to do? It's, you know, what's, have they ever they kind of like thought about this type of kind of emotional exploration and like what that is and, and rites of passage and whether they've experienced any of those. And so I always say that if you ever want to influence people, the best way to influence people is just to try and understand them, is trying to understand where they at, what they want, what they need in their life. And oftentimes when you understand people, what you want to offer, the ideas that you want to implant become more relevant, something that you can introduce much more authentically and, and, win-win for all people involved yeah for sure well andrew thank you so much for doing this work and for message to women real quick is there anybody that you'd recommend following or you're inspired by and also maybe one book that you found transformational before we finish up yeah a really incredible book in the realm of we talked about rites of passage and the book that really introduced me to ceremonial rites of passage is a book called king warrior magician lover by a guy named robert green and that is a a deep look into kind of Jungian archetypes and the men's movement of the 1980s. And it was really, really fascinating in terms of some of the other people that I'm really inspired by the guys at 
Every man is an organization that has created a framework for men's groups, which I think is like one of the most price accessible things that guys can do is they can literally start one with guys in their neighborhood and do these kinds of things weekly, bi-weekly. It's a really valuable resource. All this stuff is available on our website, wejunto.com. We kind of curate a lot of these resources. And yeah, I mean, guys like, you know, uh, David Data and John Wineland, who's, I think, a disciple of his, uh, you know, I think are really powerful voices in this space. But yeah, you know, one of the things that we've, we've really tried to do on our website is to curate these types of resources and on our Instagram and everything so that it's not just Junto. Because it's, I don't think that we are a solution. But I think I can really most support the conversation by saying, what are the things that are just resonate the most? What feels most valuable? And putting all that in one place so that for men who are curious about this journey, for the men that you care about, the men that you love, that we can become a place where they can come and learn about, you know, all the things that are available and not just what we're offering uh, specifically through our own programs. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, besides wejunto.com, is there any other link or any place you'd like to send listeners to get to know you more and follow your work? Yeah. So I would say check us out on Instagram. We, we post stuff, you know, every week, our favorite things coming up. And then uh, in terms of my personal work and where I do a lot of writing around this kind of social confidence, social flow, that's all on itsandrewhorn.com, uh, my name. And then if you want to create the most meaningful gift on earth for someone you love who has a birthday, wedding, anniversary coming up, just go to tribute.co. And what I always say about tribute, that is still my favorite thing about this company, is we have this crazy statistic. And it is that we've given, like I said, over 200,000 of these now. And one of the things that we ask in our customer feedback survey is, did the recipient of your video cry tears of joy? And after 200,000, guess what the, the percentage is? Uh, 50%. 80%. Oh my God, wow. So awesome. it's a really powerful thing. So I say it's, <laughs> you know, we, we shouldn't wait until the eulogy to tell people why we love them. So if there's someone you care about that. Tell them why you love them now. That's right. I'm going to take you up on that offer, Andrew, because I had the same idea for my husband's birthday last month. And I was like, oh, my God, but that's going to make it so, like, how do I technologically deal with this? And I think I just found a perfect solution. So next year, or maybe, you know, soon for anniversary or something, I can uh, use that. So thanks so much. All right, Andrew, I really appreciate your time, uh, the conversation and your work. And I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Anna. All right, girlfriend, before I tell you how you can share this episode and charge your karmic energy and where to find all the show notes and links to what my guest has just mentioned, I really wanted to extend a personal invitation to you. If you have listened to this episode until the end and you are here with me today, and if you have been listening to episodes of Girl Skill, I know that you have a special connection to me and to the message that I'm bringing into the world about femininity and womanhood and feminine embodiment. And if you do, I have a very personal invitation for you. You know, I know you're here because you crave more. You crave more joy, more radiance, and more freedom. Therefore, you're listening to this podcast to really find what is that feminine path. You're a woman who wants to stand tall on her feet to go for what you want and create a life that would make you wake up with excitement every day. But you're not there yet. You're still looking for an answer, a doorway, and a path. And I've been there, and I know how it feels. That voice in your head that is doubting and questioning, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What if he's not the one? That crazy loop, that same ceiling you keep hitting every time, whether it's a pattern of unworthy men, poor decisions, anxiety, or not feeling good enough. Well, the good news is that there is a way out, and I want to show it to you. It's actually a way in 
into a different kind of path, a different kind of journey, a feminine, powerful path that those women who live in alignment with their feelings and desire have discovered and will never go back to the old ways. The deep knowing and truth that each one of us has, but most of us don't know how to access, that reservoir of infinite wisdom, clarity, and confidence, that flow, ease, and lightness. Would you like to experience that? If yes, I've just opened up my calendar for a few extra one-on-one free discovery sessions this week, and I'd love to speak to you in person. If you've been reading my post, as I mentioned, listening to this podcast and have an urge to reach out and explore the possibility of coaching with me, this is your chance. So you could apply for your discovery call at girlskill.com slash apply, girlskill.com slash A-P-P-L-Y. What we're going to do on this call is actually, and it's free, you know, what we're going to talk to you about is your biggest challenge and what's stopping you from what you want. I'll share some insights with you from my perspective. And if you're open to it and I feel like you're a good fit, I'll tell you more about how we can work together. And before you go, well, before you listen to the show notes and links, I want to tell you that who is this for? This is for women who are in transition and looking for a different way to connect to yourself and your femininity on a deeper level. This is for women who feel that there is something missing despite the fact that they have a perfect life and the perfect perceived success, who want to attract the right partner or enrich your current relationship with a man and create a family, who are tired of doing it all and proving everything to everyone, and who are serious about their self-development and taking their life to the next level of pleasure, magnetism, and a different way of living as a woman, but very importantly, who are ready to invest in themselves financially and who want personalized help and guidance from me. You know, I think that life is too short to live in a female body and life is too short to live this way where we're tired, confused, we don't know what's stopping us. So if this is calling for you, you feel a... Mm, body, yes. If I would be you and you fit in any of this description, I'd jump on call ASAP, girlskill.com slash apply. And I hope to see you on the call. And I'm really here to help women and guide them through this dark, confusing terrain of femininity women who don't have to live in a world where you just let go and surrender and let things come to you, where you just stop pushing so hard and proving everything to everyone. That's not the way how it's supposed to work. So girlskill.com slash apply. And I'm curious, will this be you? All right, girlfriends, hope you enjoyed this episode with Andrew Horn. What a heated discussion, hey? And, you know, I think this episode should be like three hours so we get into this all. I had so many questions, but unfortunately, we only have an hour. So, yes, if you enjoyed this episode, please charge your karmic energy as usual and share it with a girlfriend who needs to hear this. You can simply send her to girlskill.com slash 131 or share this episode straight from your podcasting app. And this is also the link where you'll find all the links mentioned by Andrew and also the links to his website and the people he recommends and the books and all of that good stuff. And what else should we talk about? Yeah, that's basically it. I'll see you next week with another amazing man where we talk about modern masculinity and all of that good stuff. And a quick reminder that you can sign up for my free training on the lie of female success and how it's keeping you stuck, drained and unfulfilled at girlskill.com slash webinar. All right, girlfriend, keep running with the wolves and explore and discover your femininity and womanhood. And until next week, Bye for now.
Thank you for tuning in to Girl Skill. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher to never miss an episode. And never forget that your version of success is uniquely yours to live and experience. Until next time, let's continue redefining female success together. GirlSkill.com. Female success redefined. Редактор